continue um, our series um, with a professor like Greenfield. Today we'll talk about uh, the fascinating book, Mind, Modernity, and Madness. And, and there are a few questions which are, you know, exceptionally important for, 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 for us scholars following your work, but also for a general audience, I bet. You know, one of them is to assert that connection between egalitarian society and mental illness has been Overlooked. Can you elaborate on this connection and how it forms the central argument of, of your of your book? That interesting thing about um, mental illness, the functional mental illness, is um, a problem in public health. And today, functional mental illness is a problem in public health. Uh, we are talking about such diseases as depression, severe depression, as um, uh, bipolar disorder, which is manic depression, and as schizophrenia. And um, if you study history, uh, those diseases while in uh, certain individual cases, of course, they always existed, as a public health problem emerged only in the um, 16th century. So before, there would be some individual cases uh, they would be very extraordinary. Sometimes people would pay attention, but they didn't affect societies. From the 16th century on, the rates of those diseases jumped to such an extent that this became uh, a point of concern uh, and notice for anyone living in those societies. And we know today in the United States um, the rates have reached the incredible 42%. We are talking about 42% of mentally ill people. This is among American adults. Uh, or maybe, uh, to, to be more precise, this is among uh, American uh, young adults, so people of the college, um, people of the college age. Uh, the data with which I work 
when I wrote this book 10 years ago, um, was, according to our best statisticians, uh, 20% among American adults, uh, that is um, uh, people from 18 to 54, um, and 20%, it means one in every five Americans. Now, for the first time, those diseases at an alarming rate um, that were noticed as a phenomenon uh, in the general population of a society. The society was England in the 16th century. <laughs> Emerged together with nationalism. This is precisely at the time when nationalism emerges in England. For a long time, nationalism only characterized England. It wasn't as yet transferred anywhere, anywhere else until the 18th century. So for about two centuries. And those diseases at that time were observed only in England. Uh, and they were called the English malady. So, French, for example, who observed that they were extremely surprised, and that was something peculiar about England. Uh, and uh, there was already a psychiatric, uh, basically, well, there was no psychiatry, but there was the very first hospital uh, in the case of a curing establishment was, in fact, hospital established for those diseases, for those functional mental diseases. And uh, it was uh, the Bedlam Hospital in London. And uh, it was a very common um, site for visits from abroad to come to this very peculiar institution and to look at this very peculiar English phenomenon mm. that uh, that didn't exist anywhere else. Uh, and then, remarkably, as nationalism spread, uh, so with nationalism, those diseases arrived in those countries which have developed nationalism. And how would exactly that correlation worked? Well, uh, correlation maybe is a warm word. Um, yeah. How 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 do they? Yeah. So how does that, that spread? That Something is, I would Ben Anderson talks about. Yeah. That is, that is the uh, extraordinary thing, right? That historically this is, this is how it is. Now, what is nationalism? What is nationalism? Nationalism is uh, uh, a form of consciousness, first of all. Uh, which uh, is the consciousness of modernity, uh, the uh, cultural framework of modernity, a form of consciousness in which reality is seen, specifically social reality is seen, as sovereign communities, of fundamentally 
equal members. It is, in other words, a democratic confessy, right? It is egalitarian in its very essence. It's built on the principles of popular sovereignty that is self-government of the people and it is built on the concept of the equality, fundamental equality of all the people in a polity, right? So it's fundamental because of this, those two principles. Um, being equal to every other member of your community and being a bearer of sovereignty of the community, the individual is seen as free, right? The individual is no longer made by God or defined by his or her social environment. No, it's the other way around. The individual is one's own maker and the environment, the social environment, is defined by the individuals. So, you have a situation in which one has a national identity, but the national identity is the identity of a very large group, right? And one also has to define one's individual identity. But one now has to define it. It is the, the responsibility of every one of us. We have to make ourselves. We have to decide what to be. We are given control of our own identity. And we are given lots of choices. But we have to make a decision. It is up to us. For most people, it is a very difficult responsibility. Now, when you think about functional mental diseases... Functional mental diseases are diseases related to self-definition, to one's sense of oneself. Uh -huh. In depression, in depression, one suffers from self-loathing. One undervalues oneself, right? One is full of dissatisfaction with oneself. One is ashamed. And because identity is tightly related, identity which is a relationally constituted self, which is a self in relation to one's reality, identity is tightly related to the acting self, to what we call the will. When one is suffering from depression, one also suffers from 
absolute lack of motivation. You know, just difficult to get up in the morning, you know, impossible to, I mean, everything is just impossible. In uh, mining depression, one constantly oscillates between this kind of depression that is where you loathe yourself and mania, which is very often connected to overestimation of oneself. Uh -huh. So, megalomania, uh, money of grandeur, you know? So one suddenly feels, oh, I'm the prince of the universe or whatever, you know? Uh, very often people uh, in the past, people had the sense of being Napoleon, you know, in the 19th century, when Napoleon was the greatest of all uh, ideals. Now, one would uh, uh, consider oneself a uh, great scientist, you know, or um, a savior of the world with other things like that. In any case, very much overestimating one's, one's capacities. And in terms of will then, in terms of acting, one again varies uh, between lacking motivation to do anything and on the other hand, doing things which are completely not under control of one's will. Suddenly doing, I mean, going on a killing spree, you know, and uh, because one has to, and one doesn't even know why, you know, and but suddenly there is this tremendous urge. Um, driven basically by brain chemistry, the, totally driven by brain chemistry, right? You don't no, think so? No, 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 not at all driven by brain chemistry. You see, there is, of course, the brain is, I mean, we are nothing without our bodies, right? We are only alive through our bodies. But it is the mind, you know, the mind that gives instructions to the brain. We cannot think our thoughts are not products of our brain. Think about it this way. The brain... We cannot think without the brain, but brain doesn't produce thoughts. It supports thoughts. It's like a computer, a word processor, and what you write on it. Mm -hmm. You cannot write it on a computer without the computer, mm -hmm. but it is not the computer that produces mm. what you write, right? So you also can think about it as... Um, the stomach, any other organ, the stomach digests the food, right? It processes the food. It doesn't create it. Mm. The food comes from outside, right? Mm. It is independent from the stomach. How to conceptualize minds then? The mind processes culture. Mm. It's like digestion. You see? Mm. This, of course, it is the brain that 
that is the food processor. But the food is not created, I mean, in the stomach. It doesn't grow out of the stomach. You, you take it in. The process of digestion is analogous to the mind. The organ of the brain is processing, but the process is the mind. It consists of what you took from outside. So the mind, this is what I call it in the, in the book, it's culture in the brain. It's the individualized culture. You see? Right. The experiences and the messages of culture that you perceive, right? And then the brain processes it. Person can become, think about the stomach again. There can be poison, right? That you put inside and you die. Let's get into the manic, manic part. It is a very concrete and interesting thing. Yeah. So let's see the bipolar, bipolar disorder and the manic episode. Yeah. Something is very like, um, as you described briefly, perhaps actions are not controlled. There is a, a lot of... All sorts of things that... Yeah. The question then is, where is the brain chemistry and where is the mind? Because there is the flow of information that is, well, and, and well, certain actions. Yeah, let me again return to the stomach. Hmm. You see, there are three possibilities of diseases, three possibilities of diseases. You can have a problem with your stomach. So you take all the good food, you know, and the stomach is okay. Uh, oh, oh, no, uh, uh, no, and the stomach is not okay. So you, you cannot digest your food because the stomach is not okay. And then the results say a different thing. You can take poison and your stomach is completely perfect. You know, you have a great stomach, mm. but you take poison. You will digest it and it would kill you, even though your stomach is 100% health. So think about it, you know. You, of course, can have a mental disease if you, you know, bump to your head and uh, something is wrong with your brain. But you can also have a mental disease if the culture that surrounds you is poisonous. Mm. Now, uh, those rates, that's why it is important to think about rates. You see, those diseases in individual rare cases could exist always. But the history gives us, you know, uh, an index that something happened not to the brain, but to the intake from outside. Because if it happened in the brain, it would mean a true genetic change in the human beings. And suddenly, you know, 
those diseases that existed in one out of 10,000 cases. Suddenly they exist in two out of every five. You know, it cannot be biologically explained. It cannot be organically explained. Mm. But it can be explained by the kind of mental food that you take in. What's the solution there? What's the solution? Education is the solution. How to fix the intake and the stomach? I mean, is there any 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 systematic thing? Only education. Only interpretation of the of what is happening around you. Which is also part of the cultural lenses. What? So because it happens, it happens to the food you take in, you see, not to your stomach, not to the organ that you have inside. Could one interpret our conversation as, again, because it's going public, and I'm very careful with that, in is in a sense of being skeptical towards the intake of medicine, towards that? Yes. Could it be interpreted well, as yes. that? That we're generally skeptical about the dealing with the medical approaches towards this mind-brain yes. dichotomy. Yes, unfortunately, this is what there is. You see, we have been trying to uh, to um, counter this horrible development, the constant increase in rates, and the constant. Um, lowering of the age of onset, you know, so uh, let's say 200 years ago, it would be a grown-up person who would uh, suffer from uh, this disease. It becomes, then it became uh, adolescents. Now it is children who may have those those diseases, you see? So it, it becomes more and more tragic. And uh, for over 200 years uh, since the emergence of psychiatry, the first medical specialization that emerged, you know? So uh, they're trying to stop it. They cannot. They're trying to cure it in individual cases. They cannot. There is no cure for those diseases. You see? Most uh, medicines that manage it, they cannot cure, they only can manage, that manage it, uh, were created for completely other things. They weren't even created for those diseases, you know? Mm. But they, uh, when they tried them, they had this unexpected consequence and they helped, but they only helped. Very often, however, they do change brain chemistry and damage the organ of the brain Mm. without curing the mental disease. Mm. They actually have terrible results for the physical health. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it is, I mean, medical, medical way doesn't work. Not at all. So, uh, in your in your book, you, you present extensive case histories yes, of individuals with mental illness. Can you share some insights from these case studies that illustrate the relationship between modernity, madness, 
and the societal pressure for self-realization. Right. Well, uh, it is very clear that uh, uh, in cases of severely mentally ill people, you know, this, this disease was originally called madness. The word that was invented for that in the 16th century English is madness. So what we're talking about, we're talking about a society going mad. So um, whenever you uh, deal with the individual cases of severe mental impairment and analyze this person's social environment, it is always an inability to form an individual identity uh, in the conditions of acute anomie, that is, uh, in the conditions of uh, numerous choices. When it, an individual know, has numerous choices, and uh, first is either unclear, uh, uncertain about the choice one is making, or it turns to be a bad choice, and the identity remains unformed. So having no identity, uh, one suffers from a terrible impairment of the will. Uh, it is always like that. Now we have apparently a lot of uh, cases because a huge amount of choices uh, is constantly getting huger, right? And the very important choice has been added quite recently. And this is the choice of sex. And uh, so, um, and uh, uh, transgender, or one can choose to be a transgender. And uh, sometimes a person may feel very unhappy in one's body, right? This is, this is in general, uh, when we talk about those mental illnesses, functional mental illnesses, it of course includes a feeling of terrible unhappiness. You're not comfortable, as they say, in your skin. You're no, not comfortable. You're maladjusted to the world. So wherever you are, you're not comfortable. And of course, it is very directly related to your discomfort with your own sense of self. If you do know who you are, you know, you wouldn't be comfortable in your environment, right? Mm -hmm. so, um, so sometimes a person is uncomfortable with one's body uh, because one is suffering from this anomic situation. And then there is this possibility of changing sex. And it is a drastic choice. And so people then go and change sex. And then we learn that the amount of suicides among this group is larger than among any other group because it is such a drastic choice. And it doesn't improve their, their mental health uh, in, 
in a colossal percentage, you know, in comparison to other, to other groups. The mental health situation of those people deteriorates. You see, so, so this, is the, this is the situation of what the choice, the freedom, actually the freedom of choice, and the absolute equality of people. Now, as we, 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 we get getting to the conclusive part of this, given the implications of your research, what policy recommendations or interventions do you propose to address the challenges faced by individuals and the modern egalitarian societies who may be struggling with mental health as a result of these societal pressures? Well, uh, what uh, I I propose is um, the change in the education system. Uh, the change in the education system and uh, the use of literature from very literature for very young children that would um, make an identity, uh -huh, one's identity, more dependent on something easily achievable rather than on all those uh, numerous choices that one cannot evaluate. And specifically, I'm talking since I'm, it must begin with very young children. So I'm thinking about such uh, literature, which doesn't exist in Western countries, unfortunately. Such, such literature uh, that existed, for example, in, in Russia. Uh, such children's literature as Muha Tsakatuha, you know, a, a tale. A tale where what you have, the situation, it's about insects, you know. But the young child can identify oneself with those insects. So there is a fly. She is a girl, you know, and uh, some bad uh, spider tries to, to hurt it. So spider is a villain, but a very brave mosquito comes in, a boy mosquito. And this boy mosquito fights the spider and saves the girl. So the child, first of all, there is a very clear difference, very clear picture of good versus evil, you know, and the good versus evil, good is helping somebody in need, evil is trying to hurt somebody, to cause somebody suffering. So the little child now sees this is how the world is, and this little child can identify either with a suffering girl and it doesn't matter, this is a fly, you know, you can change it. Or with a brave mosquito, you know, uh, there is. And again, you don't have to, to uh, look in your own physical characteristics for whatever it is. Mm. But you, and you build your uh, identity as a good person, you know, 
But easily achievable goals is an incredible buzzword. I'm, I'm having lived in Sweden, I think that's a very relatable thing that yeah. how the Swedish kindergartens, where I have a five-year-old daughter and I know how yeah. Swedish yeah. kindergartens work and how much of a benchmark is easily achievable goal for them. Yeah. And kids are generally happy with yeah. things. And right. that is, I think, is, 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 is a very convincing point when it comes right. to policy, yeah. how what to do, yeah, exactly. not to have like maximalist right. expectations yeah. that either Harvard or yeah. MIT or die, no, but just right. something yeah. achievable for That's the kid. Funny. I will become a good person. This is what I am. You know, and then uh, you are trying to help whenever you can help, right? And uh, you're fighting evil wherever you see somebody trying to make, trying to hurt somebody, right? You, you argue in your book the principles of popular, popular sovereignty, equality, and secularism in modern nationalism place citizens under enormous psychic strain. How do you think this principle specifically contribute to development of mental illness like manic depression, schizophrenia, which you discussed? Is it, is it something, is there a sort of direct relationships with yeah. particular diseases or in general, as you described, sort of mind is blown by the extent of stress or is there some sort of no no it's very specific specific about this particular society then the society that is created democratic society created by nationalism that is egalitarian society with individual freedom you see uh when the societies were inegalitarian they were strictly stratified First of all, one's, you know, one's identity was defined very strictly by one's environment. You know, or for example, one was uh, born uh, a shoemaker's daughter, right? This girl would know precisely what her aspirations in life could be. Why? Because she would certainly grow up and marry another shoemaker. There would be no other choice. Really? She would become a mother of shoemakers. You see? Uh. She would dress in a certain way. That was the way shoemakers community dress. You know, eat certain foods. You know, uh, everything was strictly defined. Now, when we are all equal, we can compare ourselves to anyone and we can want anything. And with the social media, which is getting even more. And this is, of course, getting even more. And that's why in the past uh, uh, 10 years or so, uh, the rates of those mental illnesses doubled, practically doubled. If they double again, I mean, we live in a completely mad society. Now, think, even when I was uh, writing this book 10 years ago, and the rate was 20%, one in five Americans, this was American rate, one in five Americans, this means one in five senators. One in five generals, one in five psychiatrists, one in five policemen, right? Okay, whose judgment you cannot trust. 
because they're mentally ill. You understand? Mm. Your work is, especially my modernity madness, and this is my last question, is very often compared to Emil Durkheim's classic sociological study of suicide. How do you see your work in relationship to Durkheim? Well, Durkheim, of course, has been extremely important for me. Uh, uh, and yes, uh, I actually, uh, in the introduction to this book, I referred uh, to Durkheim's suicide. Uh, uh, and uh, my, um, in general, Durkheim's idea in suicide, Durkheim's greatest contribution to our understanding of the world was to prove the reality, the absolute reality and importance of social facts of mental phenomena, because this is how he defines social, social facts, right? Norms, collective representations, which can affect you as much as anything physical and much more. Uh, so, and my idea in this book was specifically to uh, uh, bring attention to the colossal power of culture in our life, far greater than any anything else, again, in our life. Um, and um, I also uh, mentioned that, of course, the influence of Durkheim for me has been, I mean, not only suicide, the most important concept that I used in all my books, uh, in all of them, was anami. Durkheim's concept developed first in the division of social labor, uh, division of labor in society, and then in, in suicide too, but uh, it is just... Uh, the, the most powerful explanatory concept in uh, Western social science altogether. So, uh, yeah. Well, what a talk and what an interesting uh, conversation that was. Thank you for joining us on this journey, Professor Greenfield. And uh, everybody who listened to us, we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations with top, top experts on the future episodes of Religion and Praxis. Until then, take care and stay curious. Mm -hmm.